Welcome, welcome, welcome to QC Hornets Nest, a podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone. And each week, for the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. I'll be telling you stories other shows won't and giving you inside access other shows can't. This week, you hear my chat with James Booknight, who discusses up and down rookie season with the Hornets, his incidents with James Borrego and also at UConn, his future with the team, and more. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's get it. Well, here we are about a week after the season ended. And I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out exactly whether in their mind, this season was a successful one or not for the Hornets. I think when you sit down and, and think about it and dive into it, it's something that can be subjective, but when you break it down, I think the ending is probably what leaves a sour taste more in people's mouth more than anything. Because when you think about it, they won 43 games, okay? Just getting above 500, for anybody who's been a Hornets fan over the years and decades knows that in itself is a mini victory because it's only happened three previous times before then, leading to this season, and just trying to figure out a way to, again, get the number of wins that they got, which is 43. So to be able to do that is an achievement for this team, let's be honest. And on top of that, the 43 wins put them in 10th place, which bothered some people. But when you look at perspective of the season in NBA history, it was, I think, Evan Bursmore first pointed out on Twitter to many people and was researched and confirmed and, and looked up. But essentially, yes, no other team in about 20 years had that number of wins and finished 10th place in the conference. Had it been done since the Seattle Supersonics did that in 2001. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast, hopefully, most of you many, or hopefully, whatever you want to call it, a lot of you, hope, uh, I believe, probably weren't even born when the Supersonics were playing. And that just shows how long ago that was. So when you think about those two aspects of this Hornet season, 43 wins, 10th place, get into a playing game, I think that's what you have to kind of give them credit for. There's a lot of different things of their season, their offensive numbers they put up, um, Miles Bridges' improvement to becoming a leading scorer and being, um, you know, candidate, um, although he's not definitely not going to get it, for most improved player, LaMelo Ball becoming an all-star, things of that nature. There's a lot of positives to pull out of the season if you're the Hornets. But I think the thing, again, is going to leave a sour taste in many people's mouth is the way it finished for a second straight year. They went out and got a couple of veterans to essentially try to fix that problem of last year when they didn't come out and play with the right intensity and, and right mindset and, and focus to be Indiana and to lose by even two more points than they lost in last year's blowout loss to Indiana, I think is what made it tough for some people to figure out exactly whether this season was progress or not. And on the grand scheme of things, I think there was progress made. The postseason is how you're going to be judged ultimately because even though you have a good regular season, a lot of times the results in the playoffs are, are what's going to dictate whether a coach goes or stays and a general manager goes and stays, and et cetera, players, et cetera, what happens in the playoffs. 
So the Hornets probably get a mulligan again this year because the expectations on the outside, as I mentioned a little bit later on um, in the pod, were kind of raised externally. And even though they may have been somewhat, um, you know, I, I guess it, 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 for, for the most part, you look at the results and just where the Hornets finished. Again, overall, it's definitely progress from what they've been making the last couple of years. Now the key is to take that next step. Next year can't be we just get into the playoffs, we get into the play-in game, we get into the first round and losing. No, they have to be competitive in the first round series and show that they can actually have won the series to show the next level of growth. Because if you just go out there and make the playoffs and lose in the first round, say four games and one or four games two, as LaMelo mentioned during exit interviews, that's not something that he you know, is trying to do. He, he wants to be able to be in the playoffs and be sustained and try to you know go through there and go as far as they can. So next year, that's the goal is to not just get there, but get there and make some noise. Maybe scare your first round opponent if you're a six seed or a five seed or something like that, because that should be the goal. Now at that point, you should be able to get to at minimum seven, but you need to get out of playing tournament range, which is six and above, because as we've seen right now, they're not good enough to be able to sustain the one game in your out mentality. So you need to be able to have a series. Maybe things will be a little bit different for them. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason for them. Actually, after season was over, during extra interviews, I kind of asked James Borrego about the team and get to that next level. And that includes himself, and what he has to do to reach that, again, next level, the whatever you want to call it, next step the Hornets are trying to get to. And this is what he had to say. All right, I'm responsible for all areas of this team. You know, offense, defense, internal growth, internal development. Uh, what I can say is we've made tremendous strides in all those areas. Um, I'll look back and I'll reflect on how to improve in all those areas. Offensively, can we get better? Can we jump another five spots offensively? Absolutely, that's my goal. Um, internal development, you know, the, the growth individually by players, um, that's an area of growth for us as well. You know, we got a 20-year-old that was an all-star this year, Miles Bridges, who was drafted, what, 12, 13? You know, he was a candidate for the all-star team. PJ's had tremendous growth. We have two second-round picks as, you know, in our top eight right now in Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels. So, you know, we're responsible for that as well, internal growth and, and player development. Defensively, same thing. We got to look at our defense, how to improve and get better. As I just mentioned, I mean, the, the ways you get better is you become more curious. Um, you study the game at a higher level. Uh, we'll look at schemes that make sense for our group. I think we stabilize the defensive schemes throughout the year. And uh, we'll look at what makes sense for us moving forward. And then we'll look at, you know, personnel. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a number of things that we have to look at. There's guys under contract, not under contract. There's a draft. There's free agency. There's trades. Obviously, there's going to be time to reflect on all of that to improve our defense. And those are conversations Mitch and I will have, you know, over the next couple months, how to improve uh, our defense. But it's a focal point of ours. Um, but it's not just the defense. we got to improve in all areas, uh, offense, player development, uh, internal growth. And we're going to address all those areas. You don't win 10 plus games each year without growing and, and, and facing certain areas. Um, that just doesn't happen overnight. 
You know, we're one of three franchises over the last two years to go plus 10, plus 10. The other two teams are the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. The only other team other than those two that's went plus 10, plus 10 are the Charlotte Hornets. There's been tremendous growth here. There's been tremendous progress. For us to be even in that category with Phoenix and Golden State um, is just tremendous for our organization. We're on stable ground. Now it's just about taking that next step. Don't get caught up in all the other, you know, the noise. Just stay the course, get better. Um, and I'll do that. I'll, I'll reflect on myself, on the team, and how to get better. We'll address those areas and come back a better team. So there you hear from the head coach. Uh, I think everybody next year knows that um, they're going to have increased expectations internally and externally. And the Hornets are going to have a very big offseason that we'll get into a little bit later on here in the pod about how they're going to have to address some of their needs and how can they make sure this doesn't happen again next year and continue to progress the way they want to. So we'll see exactly what shakes out this offseason, but again, it's going to be a very, very interesting one for the Hornets. Now, in return of our mailbag, a segment that you guys are very interactive with. Now, once again, I'm very, I'm very appreciative of you submitting your questions. We had a lot of questions submitted, and one is from Jeremy who is at JG Wentworth 704 on Twitter. This is kind of a question a lot of people have been asking a lot lately. I think it should be addressed because I think people are kind of forgetting the point here. All right, so the question is, do you expect Borrego, as in James Borrego, and Cupcheck, meaning Mitch Cupcheck, to both be retained after a second playing tournament loss? All right, let's take the GM, Mitch Cupcheck, first. You telling me the job that he's done since he's been over the past four years are warrant him getting fired? because they've had two tough losses in the playing tournament. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'm not sure why people even think that would be the case. But you want to say Mitch is getting a little bit up there in age, and maybe he may want to think about retiring pretty soon, taking down a couple of notches or something like that. That's definitely a possibility. But if to sit here and say, <laughs> will he be retained? It makes no sense to me. Two different things. Again, if he wants to say, I'm getting up there in age. I want to kind of um, step back a minute and be more of a consultant or something. That, that's one thing, if that's the case. But he's not getting fired, for one. For two, there's a, a lot of questions and responses and replies about James Borrego's job status as well. Now, unless you're a, a new Hornets fan, which I guess a lot of people are, you should be well aware that last August, last August, I'll say it again, last August, we are in April, not even a year ago, last August, James Borrego was given a multi-year extension by the Hornets. Let me repeat that for those people who weren't paying attention. He was given a multi-year contract extension last August by the Hornets. So they're going to go ahead and eat that and fire him after just giving it to him less than a year ago, that makes, again, no sense whatsoever. If you want to say next year, if he's not coaching maybe up to a certain level of what expectations are among the organization, will he be in the hot seat? Hot seat? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the NBA. You're paid to win games and win games when it feels time for you to win games. Right now, the Hornets were building toward becoming something that they can actually be 
you know, eventually be a team in the East to be reckoned with and be a threat to win a first round series or better. Going into this year, Mitch Kupchak admitted that was not the case. They weren't there, that maybe they were even um, ahead of expectations. So for people to think that they're going to fire James Borrego off a uh, second bad loss in the playing tournament is ridiculous. Again, if you want to say that puts them on notice a little bit to go in there and coach better next year, otherwise there could be a change, that's different. But can you please stop inferring they're going to get rid of him or when will they get rid of him or why is he still here? He just got a contract extension because of the job he did previously. So, again, unless you're paying attention or not paying attention, excuse me, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. If you want to talk about next year, that's something different. We'll get to that point next year. But right now, in between then and that point, nothing, repeat, nothing is happening. So thanks for the question. I appreciate it. And hopefully this clears up things to people who are not sure what's going on with the Hornets. All right, well, there's been a lot of questions asking me about James Booknight and just what's happening with him. So I had a chance to actually catch up with him, get his thoughts on this rookie season with the Hornets, how he's feeling, and things of that nature. So here's a little bit of my conversation with him. Hope you guys enjoy it. But this is James Booknight in his own words. Just how up and down crazy would you consider your rookie year? Uh, I feel like I'll just describe it as like a roller coaster. Um, having good moments, um, having moments I could have done better, had took the situation and made it better. But I think overall, I think I learned a lot. Um, I think uh, signing Trez and IT and having good vets on the team to help me learn and continue to grow, I think that was extremely helpful. And then, of course, going to the G and just getting some run, getting able to get up and down and play. So uh, just knowing what I got to do going into the offseason to work hard and make the uh, rotation next year. Yeah, what did Trez and IT, those guys, tell you? I'm assuming it was like what Miles mentioned. We talked about just you got to kind of almost wait your time. Even though it sucks, you probably uh, hate that. But is that what it told you about just doing what you got to do behind the scenes until it's your time? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll say one thing. I say I am super stubborn. So <laughs> I feel like I want it all like just at once. But having guys that, that have been through the similar situations and having them to tell me that it's going to be good and that I had the talent to play in this league. 12, 15 years. Um, just hearing those things, of course, that always helps. So, When you look back on the, the incident with JB, how can that help you moving forward, do you think? Um, I think about that. I think there's no bad blood between us. I think we just both competitors. Um, we both want to win so bad, and uh, we both fight a lot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, we fight, we're going to work hard, we're going to have fun, you know. Um, I think that was just two competitors uh, having a misunderstanding. Uh, I think we're good, and I think, you know, I want to be here. Um, I think we got good blood. I think we love each other, so um, I ain't worried about that. Man. And then I know you learned also about the thing that happened at UConn. Uh, what about that? Because I don't believe we talked about it a little bit yet. What about that? What did you learn to about the situation, I guess, once again, that you're in the spotlight? Yeah, like you said, just being in the spotlight, um, going back to college where um, I kind of helped turn the program around. Um, being in the position I am, I just all eyes on me. Know, uh, so just being smarter with my decision making, and uh, just, just, yeah, that's it. I know. Uh, 
I'm assuming Vegas is going to be big again for you this year, man. How much are you looking forward to, to that and trying to, once again, improve your game and go out there and see what you can do next season? Um, I think Vegas is going to be extremely fun. Um, I think that's like the first step in showing what I could do in the regular season next year. Um, I'm going to work hard and uh, just put all the work into Vegas. You know? What do you need to work on most, do you think, in the offseason to become the player you want to become next or moving forward? Um, with me, it's never like just one particular thing. I think it's just working on my overall game, working on my body, my nutrition, all the little things I really feel like is just going to continue to help me grow. And then last thing you mentioned, wanting to be here. What about the atmosphere, talking to like Melo and those guys? Somebody, you guys are like a brotherhood, man. Yeah. I'm assuming you really want to be a part of this and don't want to go anywhere, right? No, these are my brothers, man. Um, this is one of the most fun teams I played around. Um, we all got like a similar attitude and enthusiasm to us. Um, and we, we are really like a brotherhood, like these my guys. Um, I feel like I've known them for years, just me and them this year, but it was different this year, just being around these guys. And, you know, I loved it, man. It was so much fun. So I hope you guys enjoyed hearing James Booknight there in his own words to kind of get a feel just how he's um, thinking, um, what he's looking like, and just his mentality going to not only the summer, but into the next season, just how much he wants to still be here. So thanks to James for giving me a few moments. Hope you guys appreciated that. So as we look ahead here, the main thing now for the Hornets as you prepare to begin your offseason is the draft process. And as we learned in the last couple of days, they have a pair of first round draft picks now, thanks to the Devontae Graham sign in trade, whereas a condition was if the pick fell outside of the lottery, that the Hornets would get that pick. And I think um, GM from the Pelicans, David Griffin, thought maybe the Pelicans would be in the lottery again this year. It would be maybe one year away from potentially getting in to playoffs next year. So the Hornets have two first-round picks, number 13 and number 15, to, in my mind, use for a trade. And that's where I'm looking ahead here in terms of pr predictions and picking out the offseason. I'd be stunned if the Hornets don't somehow package at least one of those picks, if not both of them, to go out there and find a player who can help them immediately on the front line. Uh, those picks could be very valuable to a team who feels like, hey, we're on the fringe of maybe uh, trying to blow this thing up or trying to rebuild. So let's go out there and get some picks and kind of figure out how we can do that, but also staying competitive. So if the Hornets are have their druthers about them, they'll go out there and package that and find a way to bring in somebody here to help them out as a rim protecting, potential shot blocking, definitely scoring a potentially stretch type center as well, then that will bode a long, go a long way towards helping them get to the playoffs next season, potentially even win a first round series. Because as we all know, that was one of the most glaring areas of need is a center who can go out there, athletic center can go out there and not only guard, but also score. So by the Hornets having these two first-round picks, I'd be stunned if they drafted two players and kept them both. At some point, you have to start using your assets to be able to flip them and bring you back something in return to help you get to the next level. And to me, that's what I think the Hornets are going to do as they have these two, you know, essentially lottery picks right there to dangle over any potentially trade partner's head and say, look what I got, come and get them make me an offer that I can't refuse 
in return to me making you one for the player that I want. So I think that will benefit the Hornets tremendously. I think this is going to be a huge offseason for them, as they well know, because as I mentioned earlier, for them to take that next step, that next leap, they're missing a couple of pieces. And if they're able to use these draft picks to get that piece, they can be that much closer next season to realizing their goals. All right, time for this week's random factoid. And this week, we're going to spotlight the Hornets' three-point shooting. Now, as you guys know, they were one of the top three-point shooting teams all season. And I think this number here will kind of help give you a little bit of insight into exactly where and how they finished. So the Hornets were one of four teams with multiple players in the top 20 and made threes. And the only team with three players in the top 20 and made threes this season. Those three guys are Terry Rozier. He finished 12th with 222. Lamelo finished 13th with 220 made threes. And Kelly Oubre finished 20th with 191 made three-pointers. So again, they were one of four teams with multiple players in the top 20 and made three-pointers, and the only team with three players in the top 20. That was Terry. LaMelo and Kelly show is show just how much of a volume and just how much they were able to connect on three pointers this season. And that's going to be about obviously making sure that if those threes aren't falling next year, that they can also do a few other things on offense to make sure that if they have a little bit of a rut, they can still pull out some of these close games. Well, so there you have it. Thanks so much for joining me this week on the latest episode of QC Hornets Nest. I'm Rod Boone. For more Hornets content, check out charlotteobserver.com. And for a special sub offer to gain full access, click the link in my stories where it says support my work with a digital subscription. All right, till next time, we out.